Once again, hello and welcome to another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And today we are talking tennis and a very, very serious discussion, but hopefully we'll be able to get to the bottom of it. Annalena Levis has been appointed Tennis South Africa's Safeguarding Officer. Annalene, firstly, thank you for your time and welcome to the show. Morning, Louis. Thank you. In a nutshell, what exactly is Tennis South Africa's drive to safeguarding children? And obviously, what is the safeguarding officer's responsibility? Um, basically, it is about keeping children safe um, and making sure that they enjoy the sporting environment. So it's it's really looking after the health and the well-being of the children um, and through that also to create opportunity for them to participate in a sport. Um, so, yeah, it's in a nutshell, really, the drive would be to keep children safe and give them a fun and enjoying environment to participate in um, with regards to tennis. Is this something that has been brought about by the fact that for some reason or other, and I'm sure, unfortunately, it happens in a lot of sports, but it's become a high-profile thing in tennis over the last couple of years. Um, Definitely. I would say, you know, with the victims, and I would like to refer to them as survivors and warriors, um, when they came forward, um, you know, to disclose what has happened to them, it has definitely opened up a a can of worms, um, not in tennis only. It is prevalent in many sports. um, And I think as in society, it's not only within the sporting environment. Um, society has actually almost kept child abuse under wraps. Um, you know, if you don't have somebody who complain about it, nobody will ever know that it's happening. So, and it's been in South Africa, um, or a former social worker, let me put it like that. You know, it's always been there since the early 50s, maybe being really um, addressed in legislation. Um, and Often young children don't report it because of being threatened by a perpetrator, um, because of the fact that they're scared that they will miss out. So there's a lot of things that play a role in um, children not coming forward. And then sometimes the adults that are supposed to protect them actually don't protect them um, and also don't give them a platform to listen to them, to hear what they are saying. And sometimes you need to listen to the unspoken. Look at their behavior. Look at things that happen. Um, but behavior where they almost shy away from a person that wants to touch them. Um, you shouldn't read anything and everything, but in the end, I'll you a story um, of what is really happening um, in our society. And in sport, um, there's been so many sport codes that things have just um, years after it happened. And um, it's not always the protection that's there. And that is the thing with tennis, South Africa, is to actually have acknowledged that there is a concern and that we need to to take that concern. And, um, you know, a, a person like um, Olivia Yasriel that actually stood up and said, but this is what happened to me as a tennis player, um, has cleared the pathway for us to work and to, to get the, the children and sometimes adults, vulnerable adults, to come forward and, 
and say, this is happening to me. Um, I need help. I need assistance. Address it. And Aline, I know this might sound rather simplistic, what I'm going to say right now, but um, as a parent myself, when my kids were young, I just kind of thought, and I obviously have, thank goodness, not had my children being abused, but I just, maybe I'm blasé, or we as parents are blasé, that we just trust the fact that the coach whether it be the school coach or the after-school coach, is a responsible adult and that our children are safe. And clearly that's not the case. Um, exactly that. We are very trusting. Um, and also in, in some instances, parents think that that person can actually do something for their child. So when children come and complain about it, they um, don't see it. They see it that the child doesn't just want to do it or um you know, doesn't want to move forward. So they, that's why I'm saying sometimes, you know, as adults and as parents, um, we don't see, we don't observe and we don't listen. Um, and you must also know that perpetrators are very cunning. Um, you know, they will actually groom the parents, um, into believing that they are the best that you are going to get. Um, that is their role, and that's how they also groom the children um, in order to get that trust. Um, and, yeah, once they've got them almost in that spider web, it is really very difficult for the children to get out because that's when the threats and the things start happening. If you speak out, something will happen to you or something will happen to your parents. That is it. I think it's a, a thing of society that we, we want to trust people, and especially a sports coach. Um, it's not often that we think that a coach is doing something wrong um, as parents because we see them as um, progressing our child's talents and taking our child to the next level. That's how we observe. Um, and sometimes not being mindful enough um, and not giving the attention that we should give to our children to really understand what's happening to them. What do you suggest to parents? You know, parents, and, and I mean, America's prevalent all the time, where you think your kid's got a little talent and at the age of two or three years old, you might have a little bit of money and you're able to get hold of the best coaches or the best coaching schools. And irrespective of whether your child actually wants to or doesn't want to, you as the parent go out and put the child in the situation at such a young age. What do you recommend with that? Should parents be starting their kids at such a young age in these closed environments? From my side, definitely not. Um, there's been enough research um, and especially with with the long term um, athlete development program that was written um, in the late 2008 uh, roundabout that that it started becoming more prevalent in our sports and for us to look at um, that they actually looked at the long term athlete development and parents. Um, your children should be able to play freely to develop their fundamental skills um, and not be put into one on one situations. Um, where they might burn out at a certain age. So there's a lot of these things that um, we as children and we from the older generation were used to playing outside. As society became more um, dangerous, parents tried to keep their children inside. Um, you had the TV and, and you've got a lot of things on the TV, even though parents have the opportunity to screen what they watch. Um, 
a lot of children see violence on TV. So um, when they end up in certain situations, they actually don't recognize themselves that, that there are things happening out there. But definitely for parents, I would say that they need to allow their children to first develop their fundamental skills before just putting them into a situation where there's one-on-one training, um, giving them opportunities later on as they grow. Um, I'm taking a, a person like Roger Federer that actually participated in more than one sport coat um, and really only started focusing on tennis when he was around about 12 years old. So it's really important that we look at that um, and giving our children opportunity to be involved in more than, than one sport coat. In South Africa, we do have the opportunity in through school sport where they can actually do athletics. Um, you've got a, a rugby and a netball season. There's tennis season. Um, some of the schools offer swimming. Um, and then you do also have other sport codes that might not be offered um, inside the school situation, but they can actually participate in, in things like wrestling or um, judo, karate, things like that. So there are lots of opportunities for different scenarios and different sport codes to participate in. Um, We just need to look at it. So you are clearly somebody who is able to assist in this. And the reason I say that is because when I was doing my research, uh, your biography stretches all the way from here to the other side of South Africa. Um, and you've been involved in so many sports at so many different levels. Uh, your thoughts on the way the Americans allow players to play professionally at the age of 14, the Coco Goffs. I mean, Tracy Austin, for example, I know you and I can remember back that far away. Um, was the most unbelievable talent, Monica Seles. Uh, mm-hmm. The names that came to the fore at the age of 14 and 15 years old, winning the US Opens, Emma Raducanu right now. I mean, it's. I know they've got talent, but there's got to surely be some form of barrier to, because they're obviously role models to the young kids now who are three and four years old and say, but if she can do it at 14, I want to be on the professional tour at 14. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, um, it is a thing where, where children are involved in it. And I mean, you see it in South Africa where, where children participate from a very early age. Um, I've done some safeguarding courses for tennis. Um, and I was asked that, that they've got children that starts at the age of four. I'm not saying that you can't have a racket and you can't play tennis at the age of four. Um, but it should be part of different codes, different development for your children. And if you really go and look at the research, there's quite a lot of research speaking about tennis players going into the USA, into academies, and that's what they do. Um, and sometimes or in very often, you get that it's the parent's dream. It's not necessarily the dream of the child to be there. That it's often the parent's dream of thinking my child is going to be the next Grand Slam champion. Um, and that becomes, you know, not the child's vision. So the child is doing this and often you will see they just disappear from the radar. Um, they've been there and then suddenly they're away. So because the, the limelight is also not always good for children. And I don't even just want to focus on sport. If you think about things like 
like modeling, young girls that mm-hmm. are doing modeling and all the psychological um, problems that they experience. We can look at sports, for instance, like gymnastics. Um, if you really think back in the early Olympics, it was very young girls that participated in the gymnastics and that won gold medals. If you now look at gymnastics um, in the last few years, you will see that they are actually older. Um, there has definitely been a shift um, from that. And then if you again go back to the long-term athlete development, you know, when are you um, in a early development sport and when do you participate in a late development sport? Um, which means late development is that you actually at the age of 14, 15, actually be in a position where you start to train for competition and not at the age of seven because of the fact that, that you've got late development sport codes. Um, Otherwise, you lose them. Yes, you might have here and there one that's going to go through the system from an early age, might start at 12, and you have a Federer that has last week retired. So, um, and he's had an absolutely brilliant um, time that he played tennis. But a lot of your young um, athletes disappear from the scene. So, um, if you look at early development versus late development, um, so in early development, you do have gymnastics. Um, yeah. They peak round about at the age of 17 to 21, um, whereas you have rugby and netball, um, even soccer, that they peak at later ages. Um, so, yeah, there are things you need to look at. You can take swimming. You can look at wrestling and see the different age groups that people participate. But definitely um, the U.S., even though they've got the academies and things, they actually do look at the, the long-term athlete development plan. So it is important that we focus on that. We are talking to Annalene Lewis, the Tennis South Africa Safeguarding and Protection Officer, who, as I said before, has an extensive biography. And I don't want to embarrass you, Annalene, but just to give people who are listening an understanding of the, the sports and the involvement that you've had, had in your career from netball to umpiring to life-saving to coaching to being at the University of Potsdam, your designated master sports coach, national coach education advisor, the vice chairperson of the South African Sports Coaching Association, and a master of science in management of technology and innovations, to mention just a few. So your vast knowledge goes back years and years and years. Why do you think, and, and if it is just a perception, that girls develop quicker and participate at a higher level at a younger age than what boys do? Definitely because physically we develop and I think emotionally we definitely develop earlier um, to take accountability and responsibility. Um, it's just, you know, the, the way the female is put together, if I can put it like that. Um, so, yes, we do um, have a sense. I mean, we grow up, we play with dolls and we play in the kitchen and things like that so there's just another sense of that maturity that comes a bit earlier and also then you know that drive behind us or to excel in what we are doing so yes um, definitely if you look at the little girls um, there's always playfulness the boys play outside um, and they don't necessarily at an early age have responsibilities um, so it is a bit of an emotional development that is a bit later um, than the girls but if you look at when boys physically develop um, and especially when they're a bit older the strength that they have um, 
versus the strength of females is a definite um, difference between our physicality at a later age and stage. So your role as the safeguarding officer is, I guess, primarily to safeguard the kids. How do you go about making sure that those coaches in the remote areas, Da Orna and Ibos, are themselves actually trained to how to react to an 11-year-old or 10-year-old kid who throws a tantrum on the tennis court because she hit the ball out. You know, that emotional level, how do the coaches handle it without them being accused of not safeguarding those kids? There's definitely two streams that we talk about. The one is your coach development. um, And Tennis South Africa has a team um, of coach developers that make sure that the coaches actually go through training and that they get the necessary accreditation as tennis coaches. And then from the safeguarding side, it's really important that we educate the coaches. Um, Tennis South Africa has really had a drive as from about 2016, 2017, that we've um, been to, and I specifically did it, um, went to all the the different provinces, um, tried to make sure that we get all the coaches um, on board and to attend safeguarding sessions. So, I mean, in Gauteng, we probably had about four different um, sessions and then um, Western Cape was two sessions. We went to Eastern Cape, Limpopo, Northwest, um, Free State, and Pumalanga. Um, so basically touched on all the, the provinces, KZN as well, um, to get the tennis coaches to attend a safeguarding course um, and to complete a portfolio of evidence, which was really important for us to see whether the coaches um, take that information and they had to go and put things in their own word of how they understand safeguarding. Um, last year, um, we had Wamika, Women and Men Against Child Abuse, and Olivia, um, that's the CEO of the Action Against Athlete Abuse, um, that worked with coaches again and that has done different um, safeguarding training sessions. So we really try to get to the coaches and to make sure that they understand their role and responsibility um, so that they understand. You know, we gave them diagrams to understand how the child functions and what the different things is that can happen. Um, I mean, we look at bullying um, and not a lot of, of people think about bullying as abuse, but bullying can really cause children to try to commit suicide. And sometimes they, you know, they, they actually do it. So it, it's very sad if you think that children go through that. Um, discrimination. People don't always think about that as abuse. Um, then you get to your physical abuse. You get to your sexual abuse. Emotional abuse is something that coaches don't necessarily think about. Um, you know, the way that they coach and the way that they address children. Um, and you can sometimes see that in the body language of an athlete Um, when they do something you know hit the ball out when it's not supposed to be out um, their body language of looking at the coach and having fear in their bodies and and in their eyes are things that it's necessary for us to pick up on Um, then you also have a thing of neglect Um, and neglect can come from home where children really don't get the necessary care but it can also be of a coach who has favorites and who will rather put the favorite in 
than a talented child or spend the, the time and the effort to make sure that that child develops. So it's so many things that you, you need to focus on. And that's what we are trying to give through to the coaches. Um, tennis has now got the um, policy in place um, and the next step for tenors would be to train safeguarding officers in each province. Um, I've also made some proposals that we need to look at with regards to coaches coming in from the clubs um, and that we really try to target everybody. So even if it's rural areas, um, to go out and to make sure that we address those coaches and that they understand how things work and how we need to safeguard, um, you know, to make sure that we catch everybody in and not catch them out eventually because of things that, that they're not supposed to do. So you've mentioned what is a mammoth task, and it's one that I'm sure takes up all of your time. And now I'm going to add another task to that mammoth task already. How do we educate the parents? Because a lot of it's got to start at home, doesn't it? You know, every parent thinks their kid is unbelievable, but there's only one Roger Federer and there's only one Serena Williams. Not that I would necessarily want my kids to behave like Serena Williams does sometimes, but I certainly would like them to behave like Roger Federer. But how do we <clears throat> at a point in time as a parent or how should we educate parents that at a point in time, they must stop pushing their child because they just not came to be Roger Federer. They're just not yeah. good enough. Yeah, I think it, it's honestly, um, once the children are there, um, you've got the coaches to, to set up sessions where you have maybe a training session with the parents um, that they also know what to look for, the signs that you need to look for when, when there is the possibility of abuse. Um, and maybe also to, as you say so, so rightly, explain to them how they need to not push the child into a direction. Um, in life, we work with a um, pull-push-pull um, sandwich, if I can call it that. So we always have to have the positive, and then there are going to be some negatives, but we need to then make sure that the rest of the sandwich is, is positive again, um, that parents understand also the rate of their child's development. All children don't develop at the same age and stage if Per se. So, you know, if you take a 12 year old and you look at them, some are tall, some are short, some are skinny, some are a bit overweight. Um, and when you start looking at them emotionally, you know, yeah. some 12 year olds might function at the emotional age of an eight year old. So children develop differently. Um, it is because of the environment that they grow up in. Um, so, also to make sure that, that we get almost that coaching children um, curriculum um, shared with parents. Um, as I said, the UK did a very nice booklet about um, long-term athlete development and parents, and it is something that we can share with our parents in South Africa. Then there's also an iCoach Kids program um, that is supported by the um, ICCE. So, there are things that we can use to get through to our parents and to sit and to make sure that our parents um, understand and become responsible and accountable for their own children as well and not forcing them to do things, but supporting them. Um, if the child says, I don't want to play rugby anymore, I want to play tennis, to actually support them to do that. If you go and look at some of our top um, athletes in South Africa, 
they will tell you that they participated in various sports. They played tennis or they played cricket, they played rugby. So different sport coaches, um, lots of them did athletics. And that is to get that message through to our parents is that each child is unique. And we need to understand that even in a family, you've got children, um, you know that, that your children are different. They've got different personalities. They've got different talents and things that make them tick. So um, those are the things that, that we need to focus on. Um, if they want to really rather paint and participate in sport, that's good, but also make sure that they are physically active um, because if you're physically active, your brain is also developed and active. So there are things that parents just need to look at and make sure that their child develops holistically. Annalene, you are the Vice Chairman of the South African Sports Coaching Association. Is this uh, safeguarding policies in place in all our sports in South Africa or is tennis unique at the moment in this? No, uh, it, it is in place. Um, SASCOC had a drive um, in, 20, well, as from 2019, SASCOC had a drive um, getting the sport coaches together in a conference. We started with SASCOC with the safeguarding program in 2014 as coach developers at that stage that um, worked with SASCOC. So we did start already in 2014 to make it more um, available to coaches and to coach developers that needed to go out and train coaches in the various sport codes. Are there some codes that are still not 100% up to scratch? I believe so. Um, but tennis took a, a decision. Um, already, as I said, as early as 2016-17 to start um, doing training for the coaches. Um, and some of the, the people that are at the head office also attended this um, training sessions, which for me is a very positive uh, move on the side of tennis. Because if, if you want to enforce something, um, we all need to be on the same um, level. We all need to understand why it is that we are driving safeguarding of the athletes. Um, so, yes, very important um, that tennis is not alone. There are other sport codes. Some of them do have policies. Some of them don't implement policies. And I think that's the one thing that tennis wants to do is to actually make sure that the implementation phase is there um, and that we reach everybody in the tennis community to understand um, where we need to go with this um, and how we need to safeguard children, but also vulnerable um, people in in our community. I would be remiss to not just turn my attention away from tennis for a moment and ask you a little bit about netball, just a quick one. I know it's close to your hearts. Um, wow, our ladies have done so well, haven't they, leading up to the World Cup? I mean, they've just been brilliant. I mean, it's been amazing to watch them. The crowds have been fantastic. The, the television coverage has been brilliant. And they are all, I guess, role models in terms of safeguarding and protecting the younger generation coming up too. Yes, definitely. Um, I can say to you that many of the Protea players um, in the netball team have actually 
um, are also coaches um, that have gone through safeguarding training. Um, so when I was with Netball South Africa, we implemented it as part of the, the training of coaches as well. So that as a very important aspect, um, also uh, addressing it through the code of conduct of coaches. Um, and yes, definitely, you know, there are so many little young girls that want to play netball and that almost idolize the, the Protea netball players. So it is amazing to see how the team have grown and, um, yeah, leading up to the World Cup, definitely, um, they, they do have a vision. They have a plan, um, and getting our players ready, but also making sure that as they all coach and assist with clinics with other coaches, that they keep that in mind. Um, I can also say to you, for instance, University of Pretoria made sure that their first team netball players all with young girls at clinics. So um, having that is getting it through. Are there problems? Yes, definitely. Um, there are problems. Um, there is abuse in netball, and sometimes it is difficult to also address that if you do not have somebody report or if the person being abused is not prepared to come forward. Um, similar to tennis, if you, they don't come forward, um, you know, the federation won't be able to act in, in that. But there are situations where definitely um, netball needs to act and um, need to step up um, when it comes to protecting the athletes. Um, we can't just have a laser fair approach to um, we can't do anything. Um, we actually need to go out and, and put it out there, and especially with the World Cup coming up. We've got a lot of people that's going to come to South Africa. Um, and if I... Just think about my experiences in um, Australia at a World Cup, at, in Liverpool at World Cups, um, how um, into those countries, how they are into safeguarding and, you know, don't take photos of children. Um, it's actually against their laws to yeah. take a, a, a photo. So it's, it's things that you need to get through to parents as well. You know, don't take photos and put it on Facebook. Um, because you don't know who in the dark web is going to take that photo and do something with it um, that put your child at risk. So, um, yeah, coming back to parents' responsibilities, you know, all of it is interlinked. Um, everybody needs to collaborate to make sure our children you are know, safe. What's the saying about charity starts at home, but like there's a lot of other things start at home as well. And most importantly is how and which directions you put your children in uh, yeah. for their betterment and their future. Annalene, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm so glad that Tennis South Africa have stepped up with the safeguarding policy. It's so desperately needed in a country like ours where gender-based violence is so so bad um whatever little can be done to help thank you and we wish you all the best going forward thank you so much louis appreciate it that was annaline lewis talking to us about tennis south africa's safeguarding and protection policy this has been from the boardroom to the locker room until next time be safe and nice to each other